We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to the podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. My guest today is Dr. Neil Prose, a professor of pediatrics, dermatology, and global health at Duke University and co-director of Duke's Health Humanities Lab. Dr. Prose has a passion for teaching, a deep commitment to empathic communication between healthcare providers and patients, and an intense interest in the connections between the humanities, medicine, and issues of social justice. Dr. Prose has consulted on developing courses in doctor-patient communication in medical schools and clinics in South Africa, Botswana, and Kenya. He is currently involved in creating a curriculum in respectful maternity care for midwives and health extension workers in Ethiopia and for midwifery students in Chilean Patagonia. Recently, Dr. Prose completed work on Keepers of the House, a film that documents the deep human relationships between housekeepers in a U.S. hospital and patients and their families. Neil, thank you for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Do you mind telling us a bit more about your professional background, your daily work at Duke, and the international work you've done? Sure. So as you mentioned, my my day job is in pediatric dermatology. I, I trained in both those fields. And on a daily basis, I see children at our clinic with various common and rare skin disorders. But over the years, I've developed a variety of other interests. Uh, years ago, I discovered my main passion in medicine is how we communicate and create connections between ourselves and patients and their families. So I began teaching courses and seminars in provider-patient communication. And then my wife, who is South African, pushed me to try to do some of this work in her native country. And so I began to work on similar courses in Durban in South Africa, and later on in Ethiopia, and now most recently in Chile. And then more recently, uh, kind of branched out to work on this film called Keepers of the House that we'll be talking about uh, in just a moment. Yeah, that's great. And at the outset, I I mentioned that you created a 15-minute documentary called Keepers of the House. uh, And the intent of that is to share stories of eight environmental service workers at Duke. Can you tell us about the inspiration for this project? Well, it began, like a lot of things in life, very fortuitously over a cup of coffee. And I remember the day when I was sitting with my colleague, Ray Barfield, who's a pediatric oncologist, and we were talking simply about hospital housekeepers. And he had just come back from making rounds. And that very day, he had a conversation with a hospital housekeeper who talked about his life and told Ray that he said, he said, I don't think of myself as a housekeeper. I think of myself as the keeper of the house. And he talked about the way he connects and builds uh, emotional relationships with patients and their families. And so we realized together at the same time that there was a story to be told, that this is something that goes on all day long in front of our eyes. And many of us, I'm embarrassed to say, have no realization, no understanding of the kind of amazing things that housekeepers do. So we started out in true, um, in true a kind of doctor fashion to think about an academic study, something to print, put in a journal. Uh, we recruited two sociologists to help us do focus groups of housekeepers. And after the first, 
very first housekeeper focus group, we realized there was a story to be told and that the best way to do that would be to create a film and to reach out to a broader audience. And the good fortune about my South African wife is she's also a videographer. And so I dragged her into this project and little by little after kind of a complicated process with our uh, compliance office that ended successfully, we were able to begin filming Keepers of the House. Neil, it's really interesting how sometimes a little bit of idle time or one conversation can spin into such a big project. Um, yeah. when, when our interns start orientation with us, which they just did about a week ago, I always try to make a point to them that they really should know the names of everyone at the medical center, housekeepers, CEO, and that everybody plays a vital role. But it's really interesting in watching your film, some of the stories behind that, and even some of the roles that, that I didn't realize that they were serving. If it's okay with you, I'm going to use the titles EVS workers to include environmental service workers, EVS workers, housekeepers, and janitors, since they have different titles in different institutions and may even have different preferences. But does calling them EVS workers sound all right with you? That's fine and interesting because they have so many names, uh, both in the United States and around the world. In the UK and in South Africa, they're called cleaners and not housekeepers. And the official name at Duke is environmental service, and that's a name very common around the country. But I must say in advance that all of the all of the discussion we have about the environmental service workers, the housekeepers, would apply just as well in many cases to food service workers, the people who deliver the food to patients, and also to the folks who transport patients around the hospital. Absolutely. Ex excellent point. And uh, I should have you come and talk with my residents at some point to, to reinforce that. Happily. Can you I can show us? them the film as well. I, I'm going to make sure they see it. Don't you worry. Great. Neil, can you tell us a bit about the stories you heard about these EVS workers and the meaningful relationships they've developed with patients and their families? Yeah, as, as you mentioned, the, um, we have eight housekeepers in the film. It's a mixture of African-American, uh, Latinx, one woman who's Afro-Caribbean, and one white gentleman who are housekeepers. And they all tell uh, very personal stories about their, their work. And I'll give you some examples. There was, there was one housekeeper who talks about the fact that she um, was able, that they were having a potluck dinner at, at lunch, and she was able to share, with the nurse's permission, a plate of comfort food with the patient who was just so completely delighted to have good home-cooked food. Another time that she actually received a gift from a patient, there were seeds for planting collard greens, and she planted those in her yard. Then we have a... Uh, Another uh, young housekeeper who talks about when she had, she works on the obstetrics and gynecology ward, and she talks about how her role goes way beyond housekeeping, and she even gives advice in Spanish to young mothers about breastfeeding and, and baby care. Then we have one amazing story about a housekeeper who was asked by the doctor to encourage the patient to be more, fight back against his illness, not to give up. And in the course of the interview, she mentions that the patient was a prisoner. And she told them that he has a role within the prison to help young people understand about life. And he needs to get better in order to make that happen. Then we had a patient, uh, a housekeeper who helped uh, convince a, a young patient to have heart surgery. She was not sure she wanted to do it. And uh, Lashonda told this woman that you have a, you're a young mom, you have a child at home, 
and you have to do this and make it happen. And through that encouragement, the surgery happened. We have a, a housekeeper from Lorna from Jamaica who sings Bob Marley with the patients, don't worry about a thing because everything's going to be all right. And she also describes a moment when she realized that the family did not, uh, the visitors couldn't uh, be accommodated in the small room that the patient had and managed when a room, a larger room was vacated to move them to, to that room to make them more comfortable. And finally, Rosetta, who talks about a noticing that a family didn't have enough money to buy lunch, visitors, and she actually collected money for them and meal tickets so that they could eat at the hospital that day. Yes, thank you for describing those. And I will say they're really wonderful humanistic stories that are being told in this documentary. And I'm going to put it out here right now so that our listeners know where to go. And we'll put it notes in or a link into the show notes. But this can be found by just by looking for Keepers of the House on YouTube. Is that right? That's correct. It's easy to find. Yes. We've become the main Keepers of the House. Great. So, Neil, beyond creating a clean and healthy environment, how else do EVS workers contribute to healing in the hospital? I think you touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to hear a little bit more. Well, a lot of it is about this. Um, it, it's about the kind, the fact that housekeepers actually, in many cases, spend more time with patients than we do. Uh, they're just in there every day, uh, cleaning, and if they have the opportunity, they can um, actually stop and have a conversation. And not only that, but many of the housekeepers come from backgrounds that are much more similar to the patients than, than we do. And so they can connect in ways that we struggle with, but they were able to do that much more easily. So stories over and over again, both from housekeepers and patients about the remarkable things that happen between them during the course of a acute or even, uh, or especially a chronic illness. And then we know that this has become even more important during the coronavirus pandemic. So if you imagine the situation where patients are alone, not allowed visitors, and dealing with COVID-19 infection or any serious illness, imagine being admitted for a brain tumor or a stroke, and then your family is not even allowed inside the door to spend time with you. And at that point, we, we describe this as being sort of the parallel pandemic of loneliness within hospitals. And so the work of housekeepers in those situations become even uh, more critical and uh, should be even more valued. And we need to realize even more the important things that they're doing. Yes. And I think that last point, Neil, is particularly worth highlighting uh, about the epidemic of loneliness inside American hospitals these days in the midst of the pandemic. I just finished up a week on our medical center's inpatient service. And it is very challenging for patients to be in their rooms alone without family members or friends to come visit them. And I imagine equally challenging for those family members who can't see their loved ones uh, and can't see their progress, whether they're getting better or worse, and really then rely on the, the nurses and the doctors to describe what's going on. But to not be able to see that um, just produces a whole other level of anxiety and and. Um, just a challenging atmosphere. It's really true. It's, a, it's, it's genuinely a heartbreaking situation for many families. And anybody who can help to be there and listen and just be present, that becomes so very important. Right. Neil, what do we know about the ways in which the daily actions of doctors, nurses, and other members of the healthcare team can affect the way that EVS workers either feel valued or devalued in their work? 
this is really a fascinating topic that we learned about in the course of making the film. And occasionally, the housekeepers uh, in the focus group and in the interviews mentioned the fact that sometimes they feel doctors ignored them or nurses ignored them, or uh, they would be moving a heavy cart down the hall and nobody would move out of the way, for example. Or they'd be mopping or waxing a floor and some doctor or nurse would walk on the floor as if they hadn't noticed what was going on. Science! 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 Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. And so we became aware of this gradually, and then I connected with a researcher at the University of Michigan named Jane Dutton, who's done some remarkable research on hospital housekeepers in focus groups. I discovered many stories like the ones I just mentioned, many situations where doctors and nurses felt, uh, excuse me, uh, made the housekeepers feel unvalued in their work and devalued. And then the rare instance where uh, by recognizing them, by including them in the team, they, they really felt their value more. And, and Professor Dutton makes the point that it's really these daily interactions that we have with our coworkers and the hospital housekeepers have with the doctors and nurses that have such a profound effect on uh, our own and their own feelings about their worth and value and self-esteem. And in addition to all of that, there was another theme that we discovered that actually shows up in the film. And that has to do with the fact that uh, even though the housekeeper may have developed a very close personal relationship with the patient, when the patient dies, nobody tells the housekeeper what happened. So they may show up the next morning, as somebody mentioned in the film, and the room is empty. And that's all they get to see. And even though we involve ourselves and doctors and nurses in debriefing or uh, discussing what happened after a patient's death, uh, it's very often that the housekeepers are excluded or ignored when that occurs, and how painful and traumatic it is for them for uh, somebody they've gotten to know so well to just disappear and have to just ask around to find out uh, find out what happened to them. Yeah, and that's a really good lesson that, you know, this re- a healthcare team really is a team, and, and every member of that team uh, serves a vital function. Doctors, nurses, other healthcare personnel have been hailed as healthcare heroes during this COVID-19 pandemic. Yet in my eyes, EVS workers truly are the ones on the, on the front lines and often get more directly exposed to COVID than doctors and nurses since they're in the patient rooms for prolonged periods of time. They come into contact with potentially infectious fluid and the air in these rooms. Can you share some of your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, actually... Um uh, it's, it's fascinating because the study just came out of the, um, out of the UK, the uh, University Hospital in Birmingham in England, that showed that 
hospital housekeepers among all the people in the hospital had the highest rate of seroconversion to, uh, to coronavirus, more than any group of doctors. So it's clear that housekeepers on a daily basis, for whatever reason, um, are being exposed to, um, to, to infection and are at risk. And there have, been, um, there have been deaths and illnesses among hospital housekeepers unquestionably related to on-the-job exposure. Yeah, and that makes the point exactly. And it's related to that, you know, prolonged exposure and, and you know, to the air and to the fluids and, and who knows um, what else. Yeah. What, what have you heard from EVS workers about doing their job in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, specifically around the health risks to themselves and to their families? That's a really good question. We've had some conversations with uh, housekeepers during the pandemic. And then um, there's been quite a lot in the popular press uh, speaking about this issue. And what's been learned is that, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, less so now we hope, um, there were hospital housekeepers who were not being provided with the PPE they needed. Uh, they would walk into a room and nurses and doctors were all gowned up and they weren't. And uh, partly that was sort of a you know, there was a shortage of equipment and the housekeepers were the ones who were kind of left in the lurch, who were left behind, who were left in danger. And then we heard stories about uh, housekeepers who were carrying full bags of soiled linens from COVID patients without adequate protection, just being told to hold the bag away from your body, if you can imagine that. And then uh, a month after the start of the pandemic, more or less, there was a remarkable article by a environmental service worker named Annette Brown in the in the Baltimore Sun. And she wrote, she wrote basically, the title of her article was, I am an essential worker scared for my life with no extra pay or benefits for the risk. And she talks in, the, in her own testimony about the way that uh, she worries every morning when she goes to work about getting sick, about bringing this illness back home to her family. She and many housekeepers worry about losing their jobs as certain wards close down to, for example, get rid of elective surgery. And then she worries about what happens if, if, if that occurs, because if she loses her job, she loses her health insurance. And without hazard pay or extra compensation for the work when it's happening, or health insurance, if you lose your job, uh, the results are absolutely, can be absolutely disastrous. Yeah, that's, that's really tragic. Neil, many of the EVS workers are Black or Latino, and the data that's coming out of this pandemic has demonstrated that Blacks are four times more likely than whites to die of COVID-19, and Latinos are two times more likely. Uh, there are many social, financial, and health-related factors that, that go into this. Um, and in many ways, it, it comes down to disparities and inequalities that exist in our society and in our healthcare system. Can you give us your thoughts on this? Sure. It happens on so many levels. There was an article just this morning in the New York Times that if you, if you come down with the virus, your odds of surviving in New York City, at least, depend on your neighborhood. If you're admitted to a good you know, a university hospital or a better hospital in some respects, you're more likely to survive than if you're admitted to a hospital that's not as good. So it certainly happens on the level of the care you receive. But also it happens on the, level, on the sort of level of the job itself. Because working class people in general don't have the luxury of social distancing. And we can uh, Zoom our meetings and our conferences, and we do so all day long. 
but you can't clean a hospital room or deliver food to a patient or take a patient down to x-ray by doing Zoom. And so one is actually required to be in that close contact on a daily basis. And yes, most EVS workers are people of color. So the pandemic has made uh, all of the uh, disparities worse. And sadly, are, as a society, as a government, we haven't done a very good job of responding because the New York Times reported that seven chains, uh, the largest chains in the kind of health system, uh, received more than $1.5 billion in bailout funds uh, during the first phase of the, of the COVID bailout. And at the same time, furloughed more than 30,000 workers. And those same organizations, the salaries of the chief executives remained in the 10 to $25 million a year range and have gone virtually untouched. You know, I would also add to your, to your thoughts on that, that in, in addition to being essential workers and not being able to do it virtually via Zoom and being exposed, they often then go home to living situations that are more cramped uh, than, than physicians do, for example. And, and that just creates more risk for their families and their communities and adds fuel to the fire here. What types of precautions have you seen to try to keep EVS workers safe? And, and what more can be done? Well, a lot of it is just providing the, the correct personal protective equipment. It's training them to do their job safely, because there are ways of doing it that are more safe than others. And to, to make them aware of which patients uh, put them most at risk, so they can be especially careful. And then also, we have to be sure the workload is manageable, because the EVS workers clean many rooms a day. And you can imagine the harder you have to work and the more rooms you have to clean, the more difficult it is to watch out for yourself and to be safe on the job. Absolutely. So Neil, I want to ask you a little bit more about your film, Keepers of the House. How are you planning to use, I can see so many different ways to, to use it to educate um, people in healthcare professions and even just the public in general. Are you, are you thinking about using it with health profession students or even getting involved with middle and high school students or college students or the general public? Or how are you thinking about this? We're, we're becoming aware of more and more possibilities as the film gets out into the world. Our original plan was to create a curriculum for medical students, nursing students, PT students, PA students around the film, a 60 to 90 minute learning uh, session that would allow students to watch the film and then reflect on what surprised them, what themes they noticed uh, most powerfully, how it might change their behavior as health professionals. And that's the, still the main, our main focus. So we're just completing a curriculum that we're going to uh, submit for publication, we hope, that will then get, go out to uh, medical schools and nursing schools. We've also um, taken a different route, which is to try to place the film in film festivals, uh, we've been slowed down by the pandemic, but we have been accepted into several uh, film festivals where the film is being shown as part of an online uh, presentation. And then uh, most recently, the film was, uh, there was a link to our film on CNN.com, along with a wonderful story about a housekeeper who helped provide emotional support for a COVID patient in Hawaii. And after the uh, story appeared, I received an email from a second grade teacher in California who said, do you have a curriculum for, for using this in elementary schools? And I had never thought about that. So I immediately thought, well, why not? I've been connecting with educators at Duke University here, and we're starting to talk about a curriculum 
for maybe elementary or middle school and high schools. And our initial notion is something like keepers of the school. So we would show the film and then uh, challenge the students to go interview the janitors and the uh, teacher assistants in the school and find out about their lives and the things they do in the hope that we can all kind of humanize and appreciate the people doing the work around us, much akin to the way we kind of developed our plan with hospital housekeepers. That's a really wonderful thought. And I hope somebody listening to this podcast uh, can also help take an interest in that and, and take it to their local schools and perhaps even get in touch with you about facilitating yeah. that process. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I bet when you went off to medical school, you never thought you'd be a filmmaker someday. <laughs> Not in the least. Well, Neil, I, I want to applaud you for putting this this film out into the world. It, it's really um, great work and and shows um, kind of a look behind the curtain and, and and even shines a spotlight on some of the things that we in healthcare just don't see on a daily basis, despite it being right under our noses. I also want to thank you for taking the time out of your evening to join us in, on this podcast and on the be behalf of all of our listeners. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.